letter that Paul had written to the church at Rome. In the last several weeks, we've been talking about the great, wonderful doctrine of election, sovereign election, that um, Paul has already told us about Jacob and Esau and how God had chosen Jacob before they were ever born, before they had done anything good or bad, that God in his sovereign will chose one over the other. Now, I don't understand why God works that way, but I don't have to understand it. I just have to trust and believe that God does what God does because he is God and he is sovereign. And we have seen Paul anticipate the question about God's justice there in verse 14. He says, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? So some had asked Paul... Paul, that's not fair for God to choose one and not choose everyone. And, Paul, and so they, Paul, Paul anticipates and says, so what you're saying is you believe there's injustice on God's part. And Paul says, by no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And so when, when we say that God cannot be fair and still be a God who elects some to salvation while passing others by, uh, it shows that we have a faulty concept of who God is. You remember when we began this section here talking about this, uh, I told you to remember Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9. My ways are not your ways, says the Lord. My thoughts are not your thoughts. We have this, this, this tendency to want to bring God down to where we are. And we can't do that. We, we, we have this idea that God has, that we worship a God that has human emotions, human motives. And we say, well, it's not fair for God to choose some and not others because that's not what I would do. But God is infinite. And we are finite. And we are not God. And God is not like us. And it's important we remember that. God is perfect. He's perfect in knowledge. He's perfect in wisdom. He's perfect in power. And he is therefore perfect in his choices. <clears throat> God is not responsible. Okay? Now, this may come as a shock to some of you. God is not responsible to any of us. God does not answer to us. We answer to God. Uh, Paul, uh, he vindicates the assault on God's character. He began with, with Jacob and Esau, and he said, uh, let's go back up there and read these verses. Begin with verse 10. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, Though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She said, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. 
Now, in order to understand the, the remainder of this chapter, we have to, we, you know, we have to keep all of this in line because keep all of it in context of what Paul is saying here. And he is saying, God chose, he said, I, Jacob, I loved Esau, I have hated. And as we pointed out last week, it should not surprise us that God hated Esau. It should surprise us that he loved Jacob. And by the way, all of us are Jacob. Jacob was, was a con man. He was a conniver. He, anything Jacob did, you know, what do I get out of it before I'm going to do this? Or he would uh, swindle people. Of course, he had it all come back on him. But here's the point I'm making. Neither Jacob nor Esau deserved God's salvation. Neither one. But God said, I have loved Jacob, I have hated Esau. And so as, we, as he goes on, <clears throat> and then Paul, as we talked about last week, uh, it, is, is that unfair? Is there injustice with God? And Paul says, by no means. God, being God, has the right to bestow mercy on whom he will have mercy and compassion on whom he will have compassion. See, he's the creator. We're the creature. He's God. We're not. And so Paul continues here in verse, look at verse 16. <clears throat> he said, so it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this, for this purpose I have raised you up. That I might show my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then, he has mercy on whomever he wills. Is that all it says? And he hardens whomever he wills. <clears throat> Paul goes on to defend God's justice a second time. And, and here he, he brings up Pharaoh. Uh, you know, the, the, the Jacob narrative showed that God's mercy is a gift and not a divine duty. And Pharaoh here, Paul brings him up and he says, you know, you remember the story of Pharaoh. Moses went down to Egypt. God said, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. They've been slaves for 400 years. So Moses goes and he stands before Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And he says, no, I don't know your God. I don't care about your God. And we all know the story. The plagues came and all of this. And then eventually the plagues came where the firstborn of Egypt and Pharaoh said, get out of here. Go get. But even then, after he let them go, he went after them to bring them back. <clears throat> time after time, God gave Pharaoh opportunity to repent, but Pharaoh resisted God. Now, Paul says here that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. But you have to remember in the book of Exodus, it says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart before God hardened his heart. All right. Now, now there's a very uh, important lesson that we need to learn here. We need to remember that the sunlight melts the wax, but it also hardens the clay. 
Time after time after time, Moses went before Pharaoh and said, the, the, the God of, of, of all the earth has said, let my people go. Pharaoh says, I don't know your God. I don't care about your God. And he, he, he resisted God's will. He resisted what God had to say. Let me tell you something, folks. There are people who sit in churches every single Sunday. You hear the gospel preached. You hear the word of God. You walk out of here. Five minutes later, you have no idea what you heard. You know why? You don't care. Just that simple. Pharaoh didn't care. In this, in this grand doctrine of election, here's one of the misconceptions about this. People have the idea that I will come to God and say, I want to be saved. And he says, no, you're not one of the elect. I can't save you. That's not what happens. If I'm not one of the elect, I don't care about God. I don't care whether he saves me or not. And, and Pharaoh was that same way. And Paul says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Uh, Pharaoh rejected God's word. He rejected God's servant. And he rejected God's will. Pharaoh cared nothing for God or God's people. Nothing. Listen, as we preach the gospel, we are to take the Jesus told us. He said, you take the gospel into the whole world. You preach to the world. But I'll tell you, only those that God has chosen will respond. It's just that simple. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he said, you know, he said, if God had painted a yellow stripe down the back of every one of the elect, I'd go around lifting up coats. But he said he didn't, so I'm going to preach to the whole world. And that's what we're called to do. And Pharaoh is no exception. And Paul's point here is this. God raised Pharaoh up for a purpose. And you know what that you know what God did? God said, I'm going to raise Pharaoh up. I'm going to put him in the position he's in. Now, th there's, there's a whole nother sermon right there. All right. Now, let me tell you, whether I like it or not, who sits in that White House is God's decision, not mine. Did you know that? So just keep that in mind. But I'm not going to go there. So <laughs> Pharaoh rejected God. Turn with me to the first chapter of Romans. Romans chapter 1. <clears throat> I, want to be, I want us to read this again. Beginning with Paul, because here in Romans 1, Paul gives a description of every single human being on earth without Christ. Right? Beginning with verse 18. Paul says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Who, by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. Now, you, you think about Pharaoh. Did he know? Did God make himself known to Pharaoh? I mean, you think about all those plagues. That Pharaoh knew there was a God. You know, he may have told Moses, I don't know your God. And God said, well, let me introduce myself to you. But Pharaoh didn't care. Look at verse 20. <clears throat> For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools 
and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with, com with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. You got any idea how important those words are right there? The due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God. Hang on, I lost my place here. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up. This is the third time God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God, God, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice these things. That sound like a world we live in? Does that sound like anyone that cares anything about God? Paul says over and over, they knew who God was, but they just refused to acknowledge him as God. Over in chapter 3, beginning with verse 10. <clears throat> As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So we have to understand that what Paul is getting at here in Romans chapter 9 is this. That when he says God hardened Pharaoh's heart, what he's saying is that God punishes the ungodly by giving them over to their depravity. Here's what God did. He didn't say, okay, Pharaoh, I'm going to choose you not to be saved. That's not what he did. He just simply said, Pharaoh, I'm going to let you be who you are. And I'm going to let you suffer the consequences of who you are. That's a scary thing right there. Listen, folks, to harden your heart against God is a very dangerous thing, a very dangerous place to be. God is sovereign and he acts according to his will and his perfect. And he is perfectly just in doing so. All right. Then Paul, uh, Paul gives, gives a little more. Look at verse 19. We're going to be through verse 29. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? 
In other words, here's what they're asking. They're saying, okay, Paul, you're telling us that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, and then God judged Pharaoh for having a hard heart. And Paul said, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> but he says, what you don't understand is his heart was hardened because he's a sinful man. Verse 20. Every one of us ought to highlight and underline this verse in our Bibles. But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honor and use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and make known his power, has endured with much, much patience <clears throat> vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory? Even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. As Isaiah predicted, <clears throat> if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would become like Sodom and we would become like Gomorrah. All right? So Paul here continues the justice of God. Uh, and here he has anticipated this other question. The reasoning goes like this, Paul. You say that Pharaoh was manipulated to work at God's plan. So how can Pharaoh be held accountable for his actions? And he goes on to say, you know, uh, if you go back to the book of Hosea and the book of Isaiah, it talks about the potter and the clay. Now, how many of you, how many of you ever play, uh, messed around with clay? I mean, how, we all had Play-Doh. We were kids, you know, and I'd take it and I'd rub it around. And, you know, I, I was, one, one of my grandsons here a while back at his birthday, he got a bunch of Play-Doh and we sitting there making things with it. Not one time did something that I made look at me and say, why did you make me like this? <laughs> Doesn't that sound ridiculous? Paul says, will the thing molded say to the, th to the one who made it, why would you make me this way? And Paul says, but who are you, O man, to answer back to God? One of the things we talked about last week, <clears throat> we find this in the book of Job. And we find it here in Romans. That you and I think that we have the right to call God down and say, you stand before the bar of our justice and you give us some answers, God. We want to know, why do you allow this to go on? Why did you allow that to happen? And do what the, you know what the Psalm, Psalm 2 says? Psalm 2 says that he who sits in the heavens laughs. Now, it's not a laugh of hilarity. It's a laugh of scorn. It's, it's God saying, who do you think you are? 
Who do you think you are? Tiny man whose life is just a breath. This tiny man stands before the God who knows the end from the beginning and demands that God explain himself. The absurdity. But do you know what brings that about? Do you know what brings about that absurd teaching from us? That it is unreasonable and irreverent for anyone to question the rightness of God's ways. We have no right to do that. But do you know what makes us do that? Everything we read in Romans 1, 18-32. That although they knew God, they didn't acknowledge Him as God. We know who God is, but do we acknowledge God for who He is? Do we acknowledge that He is the sovereign of the entire universe? That there's nothing outside the will of God. There's nothing outside the control of God. Paul tells us, I believe it's in the book of, uh, of Philippians, he says that Jesus holds this universe in his hands. And by him, everything holds together and everything consists of what it is. And if God, I want to tell you, if you realize I love the Lord, I've been preaching and I've been serving God for 30 years. I love God's word. I love to pray. I love you. But I want to tell you something, folks. If God took his hand, I'd be lost tomorrow. Because he's the one that holds us together. And this is what Paul's getting. Paul's saying, look, you have forgotten who God is. And he, he gives this analogy of the potter and the clay. <clears throat> um, in Isaiah 45, 9. I want to read just that one verse, what Isaiah says there. <clears throat> He says, woe to him who strives with him who formed him. A pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it? What are you making? Your work has no handles. Isaiah says, woe to the one who looks at God and says, what is going on? And I demand an explanation right now. And I have told you, I believe, folks, that one of the biggest issues in the modern church today, especially in America, is this. Are you listening? We have forgotten who God is. We have forgotten that he is the one who is worshipped. He is the one who is exalted. He is the one who is responsible for our salvation from beginning to end. And this is what Paul's saying. He's trying to, to, to point out. He said, look, you have forgotten who you are. Uh, does the clay talk back to the potter? Of course it doesn't. The clay of mankind is sinful through and through. There is no good in us. Nothing except Christ. That's it. You take Christ out of me and there is nothing in my flesh that is good. You either, by the way. Now, you may be a moral person, you may pay your taxes, you may treat your spouse right, but I want to tell you something, folks, without Christ, they are filthy rags in the sight of a holy God. And the only place it will lead you is a place called hell. And so Paul says, the question is not, why are some made for dishonor? We need to understand that dishonor, this dishonor, is our default position. Paul did, he says, God didn't make us that way. That's how we are to start with. The fact that he makes us vessels for honor is what should surprise us. Again, shouldn't be surprised that he hated Esau, should be surprised that he loved Jacob. 
As believers, we must rest in this. God, listen, I hope you understand how, what, what a wonderful statement this is. God is not answerable to any of us. Do you realize what a wonderful thing that is? Aren't you glad that God doesn't ask my advice? I'm glad he doesn't ask yours. God can be relied on to act consistently with who he is, which he has disclosed to us in Christ. God has purposes that you and I are incapable of seeing. Do you realize <clears throat> that once upon a time, God caused a tree to grow? And it wasn't just any old tree. Now, to us, we thought, oh, that tree is no different than a million other trees. And that tree began to grow. And one day, someone cut it down and fashioned it into a cross. One day, there were some men who were born. And God gave them physical life. And we look and say, well, that child's no different than a half a million other children. And one day that man would grow up and he would hold a whip in his hands and he would beat the Son of God with it. One day another one would grow up and he would hold a hammer while he nailed the, nailed the Son of God to that cross from that tree. Do you know who made all that happen? God did. And you and I look at it and say, just an ordinary tree, just an ordinary baby. But they were created for a purpose. And they grew. And so all the time, we can't always see what God is doing. God has purposes that you and I are incapable of seeing. You know, I want you to look at verses 23 to 24. I want you to notice something here. Verse 22. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? In order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. Now, I, I have several different translations of the Bible. I have a King James, a New King James, New American Standard, ESV, which is what I use. My, my, my new and very much loved LSB. I looked at all of those in those two verses. You know what they all say? Exactly the same thing. They all said, prepared for destruction. Prepared beforehand for glory. Now, you know what Paul's saying there? He's saying that Pharaoh and, and was raised up for a purpose. From the moment Pharaoh was even thought about in the mind of God, God knew what Pharaoh would do because God made him do it. That's what he made him for. Now, I don't understand that. Do you? Well, good, because I don't think we need to. And I think if we needed to, God would tell us. But God, Paul says that he prepared him for this. Sometimes we wonder why God with, withholds judgment on the ungodly. Listen, folks, I'm going to be honest with you. <clears throat> I have no idea why we as a nation are even standing today. When you think about the millions of unborn we have murdered. When you think about how we allow what the Bible calls an abomination in the sight of God to be normal in this country. I don't know why we're still here. 
But I want to tell you something. God has a plan for that. God has a reason for that, and I have to trust that. And this is all Paul is trying to say. We most, <clears throat> we must just do nothing but simply bow before God, realizing that His purposes we can't see. His purposes we may not understand. But God never asked us to understand. He just simply asks us to trust. And in verses 25 through 29, Paul calls us to realize you see, here was, here's what started this whole conversation. At the very beginning of chapter 9, there were some who said, Okay, Paul, you say that the gospel is the truth. And it is. You say that Jesus is the coming Messiah. But yet, Paul, there are so many Jews who have rejected it. There are so many Jewish people who will not. There are more Gentiles receiving it. And, and Paul, that can't be so because if Jesus was true to the Messiah then more Jews would believe. And Paul exposes their faulty thinking. And he says, the failure of the Jews and the inclusion of the Gentiles have been in God's plan from the very beginning. From the very beginning. There in verse 27, then Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant will be saved. Only a remnant. God is just in what he does. God's word has not failed. Is that important? You better believe it. You know what happens the minute God's word fails? He ceases to be God. And this is all Paul is saying. He's saying, look, you need to understand what is going on here is exactly what the scriptures said would happen. Throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus in dealing with the religious leaders, and they kept arguing with him, and they kept saying, no, that's not true, and yes, this. And he kept saying to them over and over and over, you don't know the scripture. You don't know the scriptures. Because if you did, you'd know who I am. If you did, you'd know why I'm here. And Paul is saying the same thing to these Jews. He says, if you knew the scriptures, you'd understand that what's happening does not Prove the injustice of God. It actually does just the opposite. It proves the faithfulness of God. And God is faithful. Look at verse 30. <clears throat> what shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to a righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as it were, based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Those three verses simply say this right here. Salvation is by faith alone in God alone. That's what it says. And Paul's arguing with these Jews. He, said, he says, you, you, you talk about how all these Gentiles have come into the church. And Paul says, you want to know why? Because they received it by faith. The only way it can be received. He said, you know why the majority of Israel has not? Is because they're still trying to work for it. They're stumbling over the, the, the stumbling stone. 
So what are we to conclude, conclude, Paul asks. He says the answer is it's all of faith. Paul paints a mental picture of a roadway with a great stone representing Christ standing in it. And there are many who are pursuing righteousness by works and they're stumbling over that stone. Listen, there's a message for you and I right here. Maybe you need to hear this. Your goodness will not get you right with God. Your church membership will not get you right with God. The fact that you carry and own a Bible will not get you right with God. There's only one thing that gets us right with God, and that is when we come to the rock and we stand on it. And we trust it. And we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul has been emphasizing divine choice, but now he presents us with the human responsibility part of this. There are two wrong responses to this. Number one is, I'll do it myself. Somehow I'll make it. Jesus said, listen to this, and I hope that none of you are in this crowd. Jesus said that on that day, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord. He's going to say, I don't know you. Who are you? Why are you calling me Lord? Now, as almighty God, does Jesus know who they are? Yes, he does. But what he means is, I don't know you as one of mine. And they said, but Lord, didn't we do all these things in your name? We raised the dead. We preached. We taught Sunday school. We were deacons. We were elders. We were... He said, so, okay, good for you. But I still don't know you. Because none of those things make you right with God. And that's what he's saying here. There are many who say, you know what? Well, then, then God's going to do everything. And all I got to do is just sit back and do nothing. I have found that to be very prevalent in our churches. <laughs> God, you do it. We'll sit back and watch. And Paul says, no, that's not how it works either. Our correct response is, I stand on the rock that is higher than I. And I trust in him. And it's like the guy said one time, the old preacher, he said, you know, you ought to live like Jesus is coming back tonight. But you ought to work like he's not coming back for a hundred years. We don't just sit back. If God has saved me, do you know what I'm going to want? I'm going to want to be with God's people as often as possible. I'm going to want to hear God's word preached and taught. I'm going to want to read it myself and study it and meditate on it. I'm going to want to get on my knees and have communion with God through prayer. If I've truly been saved. Let me ask you this morning, folks. Have you truly trusted Christ? Are you resting on the rock that is higher than you are? That, that rock, are you stumbling over it or are you standing on it? There's only one way to be saved. And listen, folks. The Bible teaches that we are sinful creatures. That, that all of us are bad to the very core of our being. And the Bible teaches that there's only one way to be right with God, and that is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are we justified in the sight of God. 
And it's all God. Not me. God doesn't care how great my sermons may be. God doesn't care how, how, how wonderful our prayer may be. God doesn't care how much I'm involved in the church if He's not the center of attention in my life. Is Christ the center of a life? Are you resting in the Lord Jesus Christ? What are you trusting in to get you Right with God. What are you trusting in? If you stood before God today and he says, he, he says, stands there at the gates and says, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? There's only one right answer. You point at Christ and say, because of him. That's the only reason I'm here. Because I know that in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. And you say, Father, because of your son. That's why I'm here. You know what he'll say? Come on in. Well done, good and faithful servant. Trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what Paul brings all this down to. Paul says, look, you want to understand. He's speaking to his Jewish believer, uh, readers. He's saying, you want to understand how God is working? Let me tell you how God works. He says, the Gentiles have come into the church because they believe God. And it was accounted for righteousness. He says, you haven't because you haven't believed God. Now, that's the, the Jews of Jesus' day, they told him, they said, well, how dare you say we don't know God? How dare you say we don't listen to God? We're the religious leaders. And he says, if you did, you'd believe me. <laughs> he said, that's how I know you didn't. And so you and I, listen, folks, you have an opportunity. I have said this many, many times, and I'm going to say it one more time, and I'll say it a million other times. Do you realize, folks, that where you sit right now is the most dangerous place you'll ever be in your life? Today, your eternal soul hangs in the balance because you'll walk out that door and you never know that our life is like a breath of wind, that it is appointed unto men once to die, and today could be that day. And you say, well, Lord, I went to church this morning. He's going to say, good for you. Depart from me. I never knew you. Do we trust in Christ? Are we standing on him? Do we recognize and believe <clears throat> that it is only by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, according to the scripture alone, for what purpose? The glory of God alone. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we come to you this morning humbling ourselves. Oh, God, thank you, Father. Thank you that because you are God, you always do what is right. Father, there are so many things that we don't understand. Lord, I look at my own life. I don't know why you would choose to save a wretched man like me. And there are many others that would say the same thing. But Father, thank you that in your love, you have shown mercy to whom you will show mercy. You have shown compassion to whom you will show compassion. And Father, I pray for everyone that's listening this morning. That Father, that today might be the day that they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That Father, the one you have called and elected might come this morning without delay. Believe on Jesus, commit their life to him, and be saved.
Father, so that they might live their life for your glory. That one day we might stand in your presence for your glory. But we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.